Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Clark Burrow and Lewis Cleland. This week we're absolutely delighted to welcome a special guest onto the show as we look to expand the nature of our content. At the end of the day, we're not called A Wee Bit of Everything for nothing. So what's coming up today? On today's episode of the podcast, we're absolutely delighted and overwhelmed to welcome Tony McDade. Tony is the Executive Director for Education for South Lanarkshire Council. He's also a former physical education teacher and has assumed many leadership roles in education throughout his career. We're both really looking forward to this one, therefore I think it's about time to get Tony onto the show. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us today. How have you been? Uh, good, Lewis, thank you very much. It's uh, busy just now for everybody. I think um, school term has started back. Delighted to see children and young people and staff back. I think we're all relieved at that, but obviously it's a start and we're, we're trying to look at how we do things a wee bit better, but it's just good to have young people back in our school buildings. Yeah, I think um, I think we are both feeling the same as well, just getting back in and working with them as opposed to, it was a bit of a, a challenge adapting straight into the, the virtual learning and um, trying to get them engaged that way. It's just, especially with PE teaching, it's definitely not the same. But, um, I, I, I have to say though, working with them again. I think everyone's settled in really quickly and can speak for the school I work in anyway. Staff and pupils have settled back in and adapted really well. So It's, it's been positive. incredible, Clark. I think it probably shows you just how strong the relationship teachers have with children and young people because I think that's the, the, the way in which you've, you've seen it on a day-to-day basis because the challenges are quite considerable if you think about them. But the, the staff relationships, you can see it through social media, you can see it being in a couple of schools as well. It's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I think young people are glad to be back in the buildings on the whole. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's just about making it, making sure it's safe as possible for them as well now moving forward. Definitely. And find the good work. Right, so kicking us off then, Tony, with the, the interview then, can you tell us and the listeners a, a little bit of background information on your career to date then? Uh, no problem. I began teaching in 1990. I was reflecting. I hadn't realised it was that long ago. Um, but I, I'm a PE teacher to trade. I still consider myself a PE teacher. Um, I started teaching in Lourdes Secondary, Cardonald in Glasgow. Started there in 1990. I then moved to John Bosco Secondary School after that, where John Bosco was in the Gorbals. It's now not there. I'm a, I'm a former pupil of John Bosco Secondary School in the Gorbals. And I moved there as a head of department of PTE in just about 1994, and um, then moved on. It was under school closures within Glasgow. I moved, the school was uh, closing, and I moved uh, a job in Cathkin High as principal teacher. And that's when I moved to South Lanarkshire in 1996 as a head of our PE department. Um, stayed in, South, in uh, Cathkin High for 10 years as a head of PE and then as a deputy head teacher. And loved Canvas Lang and Cathkin High dearly, um, and was there just about until just 2006 to the end of 2005, 2006, was appointed designate head teacher of Calder Glen High School, which was a merger of Hunter High and Claremont High. There was a number of mergers happening within South Lanarkshire and some new build programs were doing up the, the school estate. And that meant I ran Hunter High as a head teacher for about 18 months before the merger, as I did the merger as designate head teacher of Calder Glen. And then Calder Glen started in August 2017. And, and a bit like Camus Lang and Rutherglen, uh, East Kilbride is now very dear to my heart for uh, I loved being head teacher in, in Caldeglen High and was there for about seven years as head teacher through the merger and then through a, a whole 
stage of the young people coming through the school and moved centrally into the authority as a head of service, as head of secondary schools and senior phase and the curriculum in, a, in 2013. And I've been director of education from January 2017. So South Lanarkshire is a place I have spent the bulk of my teaching career. And I now I'm at the point in which I'm certainly lots, a good number of teachers I've taught, or when I go into school events, I certainly know a, a good number of people because if you're around long enough, then mm. that's the benefit of it. See, with a, a wee bit off topic, see with regards to um, being a head teacher when for the merger schools, what were the kind of the main challenges? What was that like? Was oh, that absolutely um, challenging? Is is not the word? Although the young people <laughs> were tremendous, but building bringing two school communities together, the um, and the, the school was about. We started off the school was eighteen hundred and seventy, in the school building, and the building, just the way the timing worked, the building wasn't ready. So we had to move twice in one year. We moved in the beginning of August time in 2017 into the old Clement High building and repurposed it as Calder Glen High. Then we moved again in the February into the new build. So we had two things to do as well as bring the young people together. The good thing is we did loads of, of work prior uh, to the merger happening with, with young people in the community doing lots of a joint activity. And the other mm -hmm. thing, any school bride, those young people were in the same football teams and same drama clubs. So they knew each other quite well. And, all, and the other bit is that staff were really focused around those young people. So for example, you were potentially taking pupils in fourth year or fifth year that you wouldn't know. And that was their qualifications year so people were really focused around those young people and went the extra mile about trying to support them making sure that they knew them and their learning and, and they were tremendous and it was just how you would want it to be it was not perfect nothing is perfect <laughs> yeah. um, I can guarantee you that but in terms of as I now look back and of course I could be looking back with those tinted glasses but it was it was certainly a tremendous thing to do and and the young people were amazing, and I absolutely loved the school community. Completely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's a massive transition, I can imagine, for teachers and the, the pupils as well. But like you said, if they've got that relationship and um, clubs and stuff out with school, it just makes it that wee bit that yeah. wee bit easier. So, with regards to your your job just now, I presume that the the whole COVID situation has been the the most challenging thing eh, of your career then. How's, talk us a bit about that. How's that, how's think, that been for you? I think without a doubt has been challenging just for everything. I think it's the, for all of us, and I wouldn't underestimate the significance right through our school estate from you guys as teachers on the ground and the, how we manage to continue to engage children and young people to our janitors and our cleaners and our everybody. Um, a national school closure, that, that's really, mm -hmm. that's what we've had. And, and to try to deal with that and ensure that learning continues. Because I think that some people have forgotten that that's happened, that teachers mm -hmm. were engaging with children and young people right through that period of time. Yeah. People were trying to, as much as they can, trying to get young people engaged. For us as well, it meant setting up emergency childcare hubs. We've not done that before. We had to turn that round probably within about two weeks for key workers, um, making sure vulnerable children were protected, making sure the digital learning offer was appropriate for families as well and then just trying to make sure that that day-to-day -day interaction with our schools and, and teachers continued as well at the same time that obviously there's a heightened anxiety around COVID 
and all and all of the issues out in the wider community. It, it's certainly been a period of our professional life that none of us will forget, and I'm sure that none of us have necessarily would have chosen that this mm-hmm. happened. That doesn't mean it's all been negative. You can yeah. point to lots of things that people have done, but given the level of anxiety, understandably, mm-hmm. about the implications of the virus, etc., I can see why um, this has, has been completely challenging for staff and for children and young people and, and our communities as well. We also get involved in some wider council work around vulnerable families. You know, those, those people that were shielding or those people that you, you couldn't be guaranteed that were having a meal during the course of the day. That mm-hmm. is really when you see the benefit, I think, for me of a council that, that supports families in time of their greatest crisis. And that's really what the, the councils try to do as well. Uh-huh. I think it's been amazing the amount of, like, certainly during the lockdown period when we went into doing the, the remote learning, see just the amount of CPD opportunities and that that were coming up over Twitter, people were just offered, like, everybody just came together and that's what I found, like, the teaching community on, on Twitter especially was just unbelievable. Some brilliant learning, wasn't there? Some brilliant examples of learning, both from staff to staff, but also the, the, the warmth and interaction with young people. And I don't know, I didn't anticipate that that was possible through technology, yeah. because you know, that's a real thing. It's easier when young people are face-to-face in front of you when you can develop the relationships, but it probably highlights the strength of the relationship that staff have with children and young people. They've had it before, and then they've just been able to build on that as well. Mm-hmm. And staff want to do the right thing. You know, teachers want to do the right thing by young people. Yeah. And, and again, I think for me, that was a, a brilliant example of it. But it, but there's no doubt um, it, it was testing because not everybody benefited from it, as we know. Yeah. There are some children and young people from backgrounds, particularly who are vulnerable or some significant deprivation or issues in their family life that have not benefited from this period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yes, I think yeah. the schools, I think, I think it also highlighted that schools play a massive role in you know, caring for young people and I think that was emphasised over the lockdown period as well from kind of family's perspective as well, like the the amount of, um, you know, the big role that we play in terms of their learning because um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, tough, tough moments for families throughout lockdown, I'm sure, with the childcare issues. I think it's shown a light on that clock, didn't it? I think that what happened yeah. in those, that situation is that people could see exactly what the role of the teacher was and, and, not, and not just from a um, childcare, although that can be important for families, obviously, because people need to go out and work. But, but just around the young people and their well-being, the and the purpose of school, purpose of school, of course, it's about. It can be about acquisition of knowledge. It can be about what they learn in their different subject areas and and how that prepares them for life beyond school. But their interaction with each other, the social bit of school, that normality around their well-being, I think that people have probably noticed just how important that is and you can see that as people have come back i think it's just been a relief for a lot of young people to get back into some degree of routine i think we underestimate the importance of them having a routine they may not say that but i definitely think routine's important yeah it's even that thing we almost take it for granted school i think but i don't think we'll ever do that again i don't think anyone's first seen this happening i'd agree with that entirely right so Moving on to question two then, Tony, what do you think teachers or school leaders can learn from lockdown to maintain a strong, positive school culture aimed at improving educational outcomes for the young people? I think, I think the first thing I would say is that it has shown 
that teachers, school staff are resilient and creative and, and, and really imaginative when that push comes to shove, that they, they can deal with something that they hadn't anticipated even two weeks earlier, putting in new courses of work, new platforms of learning, new ways of interacting with children and young people. So I think for me that it reinforces that staff have the best interests of children and young people, first of all, and that staff are resilient and creative in order to try to ensure that, that that happens. They take their job seriously, which is a great thing. Um, and they take their role in society really seriously around the position of, of teachers and how society depends on, on teachers. So I think that'd be the first thing. Um, for me though, it reinforces that schools and early years establishments, because we look at early years establishments, of course, as well, mm. um, are focused on learning and relationships. It reminds us that it is about the learning. It might be the formal learning that goes on. It might be the way in which you interact with each other. But it's also about that relationship, that attachment, that warmth that comes and the interaction that staff have um, with children and young people themselves. And, and I don't think that changes whether that's in a virtual world or in a face-to-face -face world. I think that's, that's still the same thing as well. And the quality of that interaction for, for me becomes quite important as well. Maybe on reflection, it also reminds us that a good number of children and young people are independent learners. I spoke to a, a good number of young people during the process who were saying, I quite like pacing my day. I quite like selecting when I do different bits of learning. And it wasn't always the same. <clears throat> so I had a group of young people that I spoke to and some were saying, I tackle the hard bit first. And then I go into some of the things that some of the other subjects that I like. Other young people were saying to me, "No, no, I do. We do it the opposite way. We go and do the yeah. thing we like, and then we tackle the 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 hard thing, the thing I'm less interested in after that." I think, but their degree of independence in their learning was quite noticeable. That doesn't mean that they don't need a bit of support and a bit of help. That might have come from their family, or it might come from the teacher. I don't think we can underestimate. I think all of us need mm -hmm. that structure. In some ways, I don't think that's just about young people themselves, and maybe the the we should try and we should try and build on that, shouldn't we? We should yeah. try and build on that fundamental principle about independence and learning for young people, and how we develop Definitely. their independence. And maybe my final thing is, we want to always focus on everybody, every every young person. However, there were we need to continue to focus on those that have the least, because they are marginalised in this world, potentially. So our, I think our job is to try to identify those that are in the toughest of circumstances and, and try really hard to make sure that they've got access to digital technology or somebody's in touch with them. Because if we don't do that, their gap in learning gets even, even wider mm -hmm. and they become even more detached than potentially they could through no fault of their own. Yeah. Through no fault of their own world, just simply to do with circumstance. And I would hope, and I, I do think this, I hope that that's what we do, that we focus on those young people that maybe would not necessarily have that home support for whatever the circumstance. Mm -hmm. I think um, with regards to them being independent learners, it definitely, in my opinion, we managed to transition from obviously in school to teams in like a matter of days, like three days. I had never even any experience on it whatsoever. So it was a, it was a big learning curve for me as well, but it was the engagement levels, like 
that I found the most striking. Obviously, it's it's all new to the, the young people as well, but it was sometimes like, for example, in a class of 25, you might have like seven or eight pupils engaging for what, and others weren't engaging for whatever reason. But I think now it's trying to use like Microsoft Teams, things like that for homework tasks and using it more frequently um, in my own practice and getting them used to doing it. So getting them used to doing it in case we do end up in the future going back to to like a, a, a permanent model of blended learning, for example, or something like, like the, the, the pandemic comes back and mm-hmm. touch wood, hopefully it doesn't, but um, then hopefully that will increase engagement levels if we're constantly familiarising the young people with it and getting them used to that. So it's like second nature, that's how they learn in school. And then I think that will have a, a positive impact should we do this again and we can actually really maximise the potential of the the digital learning because it is I think it's a really really good tool to do because like you say the routine and all that you can go about it in your own routine less stressful whatever and I I think that's what it's shown hasn't it it's Mm -hmm. shown that young people can do that it's also shown that it gets a wee bit more difficult the further away you've been from each other It, it, it can it can happen in the first month and it can it can go quite well but it was starting to feel in the second month and the third month when people were say putting things up on teams that are other putting up something up on google classroom there needs to be some degree of dialogue and interaction with those young people and a connection is maybe the word i'm searching for there needs to be that connection with a young person because mm. putting up a list of activities becomes much more difficult the further you go on because what you hope is there's a learning and teaching interaction that happens and there's some meaningful relationship that sparks mm-hmm. that in some way and, and and I hope that that's probably something that we're doing now and I do believe that that will be the case we were put in a set of circumstances that were new to everybody I think there's been a huge amount of learning that's happened since then yeah definitely yeah I was going to uh, I was scheduling a google meet with my class just before we went back but thankfully the school's obviously opened back up I had it in my, my diary I had, to, I had to delete it in the first week <laughs> Uh, so thankfully I didn't need to use that, but that would be another learning curve for me. <laughs> um, so what makes this year so different then from, from others, Tony? Obviously from a, an operational standpoint, every school is taking a different approach. Um, my school, we've got S1 and SDs having a staggered lunch um, from the senior school. And I've heard of other schools using different models and different approaches. Um, so... How can we as a profession ensure consistency and quality of teaching and learning remains at a high standard? I know you spoke in your last question about learning and, and relationships. Is it pretty much a bit more of that? Yeah, I, I do. I think that that's one of the, the vital things around high quality learning. And, and I do think that the relationships are pretty crucial within it. But I suppose there are, there are other things we, sh- we should build on the technology. We should build on the way in which we, we use technology. At the moment, I think of, say, some advanced hire activity that might not be able to be possible for young people moving around, for those senior pupils moving as much around into other buildings, certainly under the current restrictions that we have. That's right and proper, in which we try to have some degree of restriction on movement simply because of ensuring that um, all young people are safe and movement into buildings can inc- movement into buildings can increase the risk a wee bit. So I do, I do think that that's the way in which we look at uh, trying to do that. And obviously, the experience of young people is different from the point of view of quite a lot of the classrooms you go into, the ones I've been in, they're not sitting in groups now. They're sitting 
based front to the teacher. That's something that they may get in some subjects, but now it's pretty much the common. There's more of that direct at the front of the room. That might mean the whole class being taught, but also there's a scope for individualised learning there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. That notion of the group work probably has gone in some aspects for this period of time, simply because you can't get them sitting down around that table together face to face. So you're having to be imaginative about that. I think for me, the bit that in which you can focus on high quality learning is to look at professional learning and how people learn from each other from a, from a staff point of view. There are some tremendous examples that have happened over the past few months. And I think that what we need staff to do is to continue that dialogue. Things like this, where people have a dialogue and are listening about what, what works, what works well, what works in a classroom environment for you, what works in a PE environment. I know that being outdoors at the moment is restrictive in its nature. And yeah, we're quite subject. used to that, though. We're used to that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, but amazingly how you'll have, you, you will have adapted, even in two weeks, you'll have changed yeah. what you do. The young people have, yeah. have got into the habit of it and the kinds of things that we can offer as well. So I do think that the bit about professional learning and how people now interact is a game changer. We'll never necessarily, we don't necessarily need to go back to the whole day's worth of courses. I can't get out today because I don't have cover. I think that we can say, well, could we set aside an hour? Or we can look at your professional learning. Can it be tailored to the time that suits you rather than tailored to the time that suits the delivery of the course? And we, and we can then build a focus around professional learning. I think if you manage a focus around professional learning, then that's, we've got a real chance of improving learning and teaching, even though it's different this year. Yeah. Yeah, you made some good points there in terms of professional learning and uh, the sort of flexible working model, which, which kind of leads me nicely on to the kind of next question. Um, I know Lewis listens to the education podcast, um, Becoming Educated by Darren Leslie, and I also listened to it as well. So I was listening to it the other day and uh, he interviewed a lady called called Hannah Wilson, who is an educational leader in England, who, is a, who has a passion for a values-led approach um, in schools. So following on from this then, is there now maybe more scope, Tony, for flexible working for teachers, which in turn, Hannah says, it would boost teacher wellbeing and, and job uh, satisfaction? I think there is. It, it's a balance, isn't it? I think that um, finding a modern way of working is important. I think to always look to a model that's been a traditional model might now not look the same and it might not be relevant or as relevant. And you can, you can look at that. The slight difficulty is you're always looking at the needs of the service of the young people and, and finding an appropriate balance. We, we struggle a wee bit sometimes because I think many local authorities take, for example, subject-specific activity so if you get teachers who don't necessarily want to work full-time then you have to find ways of of having part-time people in as an example of that if they want to go and be, be seconded that that can cause you practical issues that doesn't mean that you don't want to do it because mm-hmm. having a breadth in your career is a great thing isn't it it's a yeah. really great thing for teachers to to go and do something different and bring that back into a learning environment for the young people think young people benefit from that so I think that to try to get flexible work patterns it's just finding the balance of the the needs of the school and the needs of the individual and the best way of doing that is the conversations that are had around the teacher with their faculty head or with their head teacher about what's in the person's PRD does it fit their life 
will it make them a better teacher? Will the children benefit? And if you can have that grown-up conversation, that professional conversation, I think you can find modern ways of doing it. I think sometimes the way where we find ourselves just now, we're all taking a bit of a breath just about the need for as many people in our buildings as possible for the next wee while. You hope that that will settle. And when that settles, you can then hope there's further scope uh, for, for teachers um, moving forward. Yeah, because Lewis and I were chatting about it just a couple of days ago when I was speaking about the kind of questions we we're going to be asking. And we said that it's a really important job for the, the faculty head to have that conversation, as you're saying, with it would be a job for the faculty head to kind of be the bridge and the buffer between the timetabler and then obviously their staff as well to make sure that their needs are met. So we were speaking about that point there actually a couple of days ago. Because um, sometimes, as Hannah said in the podcast, it's not the, the timetable that's the problem, it can sometimes be the timetabler. Um, not to have a, a go at anybody who's <laughs> doing the timetable <laughs> in my school or that. Careful what you're saying there. I quoted Hannah there. <laughs> so... What's your thoughts on that then? I, I think that um, having met some very good timetables, I was at a less good timetable, I think. Um, some very oh, good that time- job just hurts my brain. Exactly. <laughs> I think that some really good timetablers will tell you that they can do everything, but they can't do any- they, they can do anything, but they can't do everything. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's about identifying your priorities. And that's not necessarily about timetables. That's about what's important to you as a school. And obviously, sometimes the starting point inevitably comes around qualifications. So you're almost driven towards that. But there's some very good examples just now in which schools are looking, not even just in the world that we're in, but even if you just take the world that we're in at the moment, how drastically some schools have changed their timetable just to ensure that their children and young people don't move around the buildings as much. Yeah. You know, the, the three double blocks, for example, or the the whole half morning, whole half day session. So schools have been able to do that fairly quickly. Yeah, and right. it's about priorities and, and purpose. Is it, is it worth it? How will you manage? What are your big priorities? Balancing out the needs of senior phase versus broad general education. Can you bring some of that together? Is it always about single subject delivery, which is important? Or and when are they, when you contextualizing learning, can you bring learning together at different times as well? And then how does that fit in with the expertise and staff that you have and what kind of training do you need? And I think if you identify your priorities, put that and look at your staffing expertise and professional learning, then maybe you come up with a timetable not, and not always just revisit the same things. I, I think it's possible. I don't think it's, I don't think it's easy though. And if we'd have cracked it, <laughs> We would have would have done it years ago, but the other part is is making sure innovation is there, that, and the innovation is is well considered. Understandably, people don't want to be reckless with young people, given the the things that are at stake as they move up the school. But I think the innovation is important. To, so I, I think there is an opportunity. I think the timetables have just blown your argument out of the water. I think the timetables over the past two or three weeks have oh. done some incredible job of re-looking at how you can move that timetable because the priority has just moved slightly and the priority has been about things like re- reducing movement, making sure there's longer blocks, just shows it can be done, doesn't it? Yeah, I know it does, it shows, what, it shows um, when it needs to be done, it can be. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's been a lot of innovative examples throughout the last few weeks in various schools across South Lanarkshire and the country. Um, 
so Tony, I know I know you're passionate about inspiring learners, transforming learning, and uh, strengthening communities within your role as a as an executive director for education. For for other teachers listening into this podcast, what strategies can they take away with them and implement in their schools to improve learning and well-being for the young people in their care? Yeah, the, the three things you've said these are the, the, the things that we look at about that young people are inspired in their learning. That for me that bit about the spark isn't to have you found the thing for that young person there must there is something I think you have to believe I think all of us believe in education that young people there's something in their job is hopefully to point them in the right direction that they find it and they're able they're able to do it and and the transforming learning for us has been about what learning looks like in a different way is it work-based learning is it bringing learning together is it young people being independent in the learning process and then the, back, the, the part about strengthening is you can't do that by yourself. You need partners. That's not just about teachers. So I, I suppose there's lots of things about um, what people have said about, about strategies. I'd, I'd just say a couple. Um, be a willing learner yourself. You know, that, I think that continues to be important. The, the part I mentioned about focus on relationships. Um, having a high expectation of young people, that doesn't mean a, a, an impossible expectation, but having a high expectation of them. Um, and the, the point for me around um, building on success, young people, you build on their success, don't you? You don't build on the things that they can't do, let's try and build on the things that they can do. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I, I compl- I'll finish off by saying a bit at the start, all young people have something. Their, their job is just to try to point them in the direction. Is it? They're brilliant at science or they love science. Not that they'd be brilliant at it, but they love it. That they're, they're going to try their best at it. Or do they like, for us, sport? Um, do they like drama or music? If you think of the breadth of a high school and all that offers, you're not telling me that if we get it right for young people and have a good relationship, that that would be the key that we're able to find the thing for those young people. And there's a real breadth of opportunity out there. Um as you've highlighted, so that's why we got up in the morning, I suppose, to try and find, <laughs> that, find that spark within, within each young person. Very true. Right, well then, I guess that just leads us on to the, the final question of the main part of the interview. Tony, lastly then, in your opinion, what makes a high-quality teacher? I think, Lewis, there's, there's obviously lots of research. You, you, there's loads of um, research papers, there's loads of books, I think people look for that magic ingredient. I'm not sure if that's, that is a magic ingredient. Um, I think for me, the first thing I would always say is that a teacher demonstrates empathy, care, and kindness towards our young people, that they have an interaction and a warmth that they want to be there. We all know that young people can spot a fake. Young yeah, people absolutely. can spot whether you're, you're, you genuinely have an interest in them. And I think for me, that would be, the, would, would be one of them. I do think there's some technical things about being well planned and setting up a safe environment for them. That, that is something they want you, they want to feel safe in that environment. And I don't mean that's about being you know, overly harsh. I think that's just about setting up some parameters for those young people as well. Knowing your craft, the knowledge of your learning and teaching your assessment strategies, and again, having a passion about your craft that, that goes along with that. Um, maybe, for me, having a sense of humour <laughs> would, yeah. be, would be helpful. But that, I don't think that means telling jokes. I yeah. think that's not taking yourself too seriously. 
for the young people and showing a bit of yourself. Um, and the, the last two for me, probably really importantly, about the teacher being authentic about themselves, not trying to be anybody else. I don't think you can. You can look at good people and you can take their characteristics, but there's something about the essence of you, isn't there? There's, there's an essence of you as a professional, your, the way in which you interact, your communication skills. Yeah. Some people are, are brilliant at interacting with young people. Others maybe find that slightly uncomfortable and are better with individuals. I don't think that matters to young people. I think you need to be close to who you are and it needs to be who you are as a person with some of the craft that goes along with it as well. And then, So, so I guess that means, Clark, for um, a bit of learning there for you is to stop taking my one-liners and taking them into your class. <laughs> 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 that's, that's, that's me got you back. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes but, it's in the delivery, isn't it? It's not necessarily yeah. the word. <laughs> yeah, the thing, I just, the thing is, as Tony just said, like about the jokes, it's not about telling jokes. It's about You managed to get a bit of a laugh, so you must have been good. <laughs> Um, but I think um, what, what you're speaking about there as well, a big part of our job as well was not always just to get A's. I always try and look at my national class and think development as, as a person and, yeah. you know, that holistic development and if I can make them more respectful or a better yeah. communicator, just those life skills, that makes it even more rewarding, doesn't it? And it, it, that's so true. And they will not all get A's either. I know. Nor, nor should they. But that doesn't define them as a young person. That's that model of, while it's important, that's simply a bit of currency for them. That doesn't make them the person who they are. That, that person, those values that you demonstrate with them, that learning that they have in their interaction in a PE lesson about being respectful of each other, understanding that they're not always going to be the best at something, coming through the pain of defeat in a, in a class game. All of those small moments of learning help define a young person. The qualification at the end is a bit of currency for them. It's not the defining moment of their learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, so moving on to the, the quick fire round of three that we go over with, with all of our guests. Tony, so quick three questions. So number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown <laughs> in Stirling, what would it say? Yeah, although I would always say my wife and my daughters would kill me because I've lived in Stirling almost 30 years. I'm a Glasgow boy. I will always be a Glasgow boy. So I would like the, I would like the billboard to be up in Glasgow <laughs> that would say that I remain a Glasgow boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Love that. So what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life or indeed your career? Now that That is such a great question. I, I'm a, uh, I don't know why, but I've always been an avid reader. Um, and loved reading as a, as a child and young person. And I have a book that sits on my desk, and I'm pointing over towards my desk because I'm still in my office just now, that still sits on my desk. It's a book called The Silver Sword. It's a children's book by Ian Serralier. And I, I remember it vividly. I was in P4, I think, and my teacher read the book to the class. And I was fascinated by the book, loved the book. And she gave me it as a, as a gift, because she obviously knew I was fascinated by the, by the book. Now, and then someday at school, it was, it was just a book. It was about kindness. It's about uh, young people as refugees at the end of the Second World War. Um, and it just moments of kindness that people acted upon them for no reason other than the fact they needed some help and support. 
and it shows you in your moments of vulnerability that there are other people who will simply do that for you. They don't ask anything of you. They are simply trying to help you. And it's a, it's a brilliant story. I read it periodically as well throughout my life. I've read the book, but it still sits on my desk because it, it was something symbolic, I think, as well. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't think it was symbolic as a primary four. I'm probably looking back now and thinking mm-hmm. it was symbolic. I think, I think the notion of the teacher reading it with me has resonated and, and stayed with me as well. So that, that's one. I've, I've got probably two or three others, actually, as I think about it. There's, I'm a, as I say, I'm a boy born and brought up in the Gorbals. Um, and the Benny Lynch story by uh, John Burroughs, Benny Lynch, of course, was a world champion boxer from the Gorbals. He, and the thing that fascinated me about him was that Benny Lynch fought for his world title in the 30s in Shawfield Stadium, which was just along the road from my house. And, yep. and I periodically used to go and watch Clyde when they used to play there uh, as, a, as, a, as a child. And I couldn't believe they would have a world title boxing fight in this place in which I would go along. And also the, the Greyhound track as well. Mm. Um, so that... And if you read the book, the book is much more than just about boxing. I'm not a huge boxing fan. I mean, I like it, but I'm not a huge boxing, avid boxing fan. It's much more a social commentary of the time and a social commentary of the conditions and some of the poverty that was in the whole of Glasgow and the whole of the community at that point in time and the issues that people faced. It's a brilliant read just about that whole social commentary and what sport can do. And it's quite a sad story of him in the end as well. Um, maybe I need to move professionally as well to some books I've read. Uh, there's a series by Michael Fullen, who's a, a great writer on leadership, and people that are involved in doing their leadership qualifications will no doubt know Michael Fullen well, but he's that, some of his earlier stuff around what's worth fighting for. So there's what's worth fighting for in schools, what's worth fighting for in headship, and he very much puts into that notion of the moral purpose and he talks a lot about the moral imperative, about the, the significance of education and the significance of all of us as teachers and school leaders about the influence that you can have on your children, young people in your community. And I think he put it in such a straightforward way for me. It was quite straightforward writing. And basically, he recognised the importance of teachers day in, day out, what you're doing in the classroom every single day. That's the bit that matters. What we do is we create in that hope that um, four steps removed from that, unfortunately, now, but what, what you hope is that we create an environment that continues to focus on learning and teaching. And that will always be our first thing and it'll always be the thing that matters. And the final one that I'm reading just now is a book called Imperfect Leadership by Steve Munby. And, and again, he's a very experienced leader and it, it's, there's some very good... Um, learning for everybody in it you're just about it's a good title leadership is not about you know there's no one perfect way of leadership and there's lots of learning that goes on within it so those are those are my four i thought i would just try and steal some airtime and take four (laughs) sounds good i definitely like to get my hands on a couple of them um i always remember just when you're speaking about the primary four teacher who had an impact on you from reading the silver sword book um I remember when I was in primary six or seven, um, went to parents' night with mum and dad, and the teacher says, the primary, primary seven teacher at the time says, now Clark's just, he's not quite the Champions League, he's kind of working at the UEFA Cup <laughs> level. <laughs> but that was the kind of way it resonated with me, it kind of motivated me 
Um, just when you were speaking about that, it came into my head. So I'm, I'm, not quite, I'm not quite the Champions League. I'm just working at the EFA Cup level. I thought it was, I thought it was quite good, good feedback. Being in Europe at this point is still good, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. As long as I'm there. Um, I'm in the arena. Anyway, last one. What advice would you give to a teacher about to enter the working world? Or what advice should they ignore in these uncertain times? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, and I'll I hopefully say this, my daughter's a teacher as well, so I, and my wife was primary head teacher and worked centrally. So I hope that we've not put, hopefully I didn't put my daughter off who's gone into teaching. I, w- I would say it is a fantastic career, isn't it? That it, it really yeah. can be the thing that fulfills you. I'm not saying it's easy, but, but for all of us, a couple of things, give it your heart and soul. I don't think there is a middle ground within it. I think you need to commit to it. Um, and it can be a joyful, and I would use the word joyful, it can be a joyful job. Those moments, I don't know about for you, and, and again, I might be looking back in those tinted glasses, but I loved teaching social dance. I loved mm. that interaction with young people at Christmas time. Uh, that, that's, those special moments, those interactions that you had, um, it might have been, in, it's not even the big events. It might have been that one wee conversation you've had with somebody. Those are genuine moments of joy that you can have as a teacher. That doesn't always happen, trust me. And job I'm in doesn't always happen. Those moments of joy don't always happen. And I think that that can happen with the energy of young people. I'd also say, hopefully, that the person's career coming in will be long. And they're as enthusiastic at the end of their career as they are at their beginning of their career, that they're not, they don't feel jaded by it because it is a demanding career as well. And the bit that maybe both of you are doing just now is I think you need to find other things in your life. I don't think it has to be immersed as much as you treat it as seriously as possible. I think you do ultimately need a balance and bring other things. Go and do other things. Go do a podcast. Although it's about education, I'm sure you're going to do lots of other things. I think by doing other things, you bring a richness to your job that you don't have otherwise. Being one-dimensional in anything is not a great thing. And I, I think that having an interest, having time away, it, it is a, an ability to, for you to recharge your batteries. It's a, an ability to bring something back into the job. And I think it supports you being there for a long time. Um, and I, I don't think you should... I, th- I think that's really important. And I think the last thing is... I touched upon it earlier. I think you should be your own person. We would want teachers who can think for themselves. I would want teachers to have an opinion, to be thoughtful, and to be your own person. And and I think in that environment, once when we get that, and then we have a collective energy, I think the teachers do some pretty magic things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I made some excellent points there about the sustainability as well, and trying to get some rest time as well. It's really important, isn't it, to, for sustainability throughout your career. Um, when you get the wee insights also, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, was also, I, was also envi- I was also envisaging a socially distanced Virginia Reel. I've taught a number of young people who wanted a socially distant Virginia Reel. And I'll be like, don't join up, stop joining up. Thinking about Christmas already, it's a thought. It's not far away, yeah. though. Be here I, saw it again, though, I saw a brilliant, uh, it was on Twitter, a picture of some young people out doing dance in the playground. And it was a PE class, doing. it was a dance class, and who were obviously going outside. They were completely socially distant, and they were out in the playground, yeah. and they were doing their dance class. 
Yeah, teachers will yeah. solve lots of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've been taking up the music as well outside. Uh, yeah, yeah, dance classes. So it's there's always a, if there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thanks again for agreeing to come on the show uh, today, Tony, and we hope this, and we're sure it will help current teachers across the country and the next generation of teachers coming up through the system. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you for the very kind invite. I thoroughly enjoyed that. At the end of the podcast, myself and Lewis always summarise the key points from the guest. There's been many good points there throughout the podcast, Lewis, I'm sure you agree. Um, I suppose we'll just kick off then and start with your key takeaway message from today's episode. I suppose my key takeaway message would be from um, from question two when we were kind of talking about the lessons that, that we've kind of learned from lockdown and um, Tony mentioned a few great points here about how creative teachers are um, in general, but especially when presented with a challenge like that to get round about it and they're very solution focused and how much they actually care about the, the, the pupils and that that they teach but I thought it was very interesting the point you made about how it's made how it can make or it is shown how independent the young people can be like with their learning and that's not saying that every single young pe- person adapted to it brilliantly but it shows that there is a degree of independent learning there and that's a brilliant skill for them to be able to take forward, especially if they're doing that in S1, 2 and 3, going up the school, when they, when the learning becomes a lot more independent. And then for example, the S5s and 6s, thinking about going to college and university, when they're, they're learning probably this year and the next year, it's going to be completely independent because it will probably be over, the bulk of their assignments will be through um, turning it in and they're not going to have as much support as they would in a classroom environment. So I think... Um, the point about that the, the pupils are can be independent learners. I think that was a, a very good, a very good point that you made. And it's something that yeah. we we should. I think it's something that's very important that we that we try and teach, especially if we need to do this again. Try and make them as independent as possible because you're preparing them for the, you're putting them in the best possible position going forward. Yeah, I think it's about striking the balance as well. As he said, like there's more need now for direct instruction because there's less group work. Mm-hmm. So I suppose if you combine if you combine it with independent learning at home, or you're asking them to do more in Google Classroom or Teams, then it works quite nice because they're getting they're getting the direct one to one rather than group work. There's less cooperative learning probably. Mm-hmm. So if they're getting more of that direct instruction, then you're hoping that they've they can then go away and be more independent. Whereas if you yeah. kind of set up a cooperative approach, but it's based on social constructivism, where they're kind of learning from each other, then you're not really, you're not really kind of confident that they're going to be and they're going to be have the skills and knowledge to be independent learners, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the thing, so what you're thing, so what you're teaching in class has to reflect what you're expecting them to do via yeah. the online platform. That's what I'm thinking because you can't just expect them to be independent without giving them the tools to be independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's about finding um, creative strategies to, like you said, that direct approach where they're maybe not working in groups. It's trying to make the learning engaging so you're not just standing at the front and talking and reading off a PowerPoint or getting them to copy stuff down. It's finding wee creative strategies to help help them understand the, the, what you're actually trying to teach them. Yeah, and it's then, like the higher strategies that we spoke about earlier that be the examiner, getting them to market, um, the spot the difference one, if they try and work mm-hmm. out how many marks they would give it 
um, or where it's lost the mark. So it's just trying to use yeah. strategies like that. You do need to find creative and innovative ways, and Tony actually spoke about that innovation as well. Um, and it's just about building on. We're going through a transition period, I suppose, as a school. So it's then trying to find, as Tony said as well, the sustainability. Like, what can we actually, what can we learn? What do we need to discard? And what's actually sustainable moving forward? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't have blended learning um, if we don't think it's sustainable. You know, is, is that we need to have the right measures in place first before it can really move into that sort of blended approach, I think. But I think, I think we're learning as we go. Aye, now's the time to, from the things that we have been doing over um, during lockdown with the remote learning, actually still using that in class just now, getting the, the pupils really familiar with it so it just becomes a normal part of your teaching so that they, so it's no different if we have to go from teaching in class to going back to yeah. um, distant learning. They are so much more confident with it and I guess some skills are at different stages than others but I think now's the time to actually use that effectively within your teaching for homework tasks for we're not allowed to mark work just now so doing it getting the pupils to take a photo of their work in class that they've done then they can submit it to teams and then you can give them feedback that way so they're just getting into the habit of definitely doing it that way having a a unified approach across the school Mm -hmm. everybody should be doing the same thing in your school not just you on your own yep so that would be my kind of key summary or takeaway message from um today's episode with Tony. What about yourself then? Have you got anything that stood out for you in particular? Well, I think I sort of mentioned a couple of things there um, about the sustainability of the measures that we put in place, the, the innovative practices that we've all been undertaking over the past few while. Um, so I think I've kind of mentioned my main points, but just finally, you know, I think his, his words of wisdom at the end on the advice that he gave the teachers entering, entering the working world you know, what stood out was there's no middle ground in teaching. You're either all in or all out, which is why I think I like the job so much. It's very demanding mentally and emotionally and physically and socially, but it's why I, I love the job so much. You need to be 100% in because the kids know if you're faking it. Mm. Yeah. If you're not being authentic, you're, you're sussed out in a matter of minutes. <laughs> minutes? I'd say seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think that um, rounds us off nicely then, Mr Burrow. I think that was a, an excellent point and it was a, a good summary of what Tony said at the end of the podcast today. Some great words of wisdom there and I think a lot can yeah, can be said for that. So, as always, if you see it on Instagram at a wee bit of everything podcast or Twitter at Burrow underscore Mr or at Cleland Lewis 94 we really would appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. Also, if you haven't already done so, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time, if you've been enjoying the podcast, to leave us a wee review on Apple um, or Spotify, as I think they do reviews as well now. So if you could um, spare a a minute of your time, we'd be ever so grateful. Until next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care.